This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 205. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. Today, co-hosted by Mr. Matthew Marister. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Mr. Riley Bowman. Thanks for having me again. It's my honor, my pleasure. Matthew, we've got some amazing stories to talk about in this edition of the Concealed Carry Podcast. This being you know, the early of the, you know early part of the week edition of the of the podcast, like we do every week. We've got all kinds of stories and updates for you listeners about uh, laws being proposed in Florida and also on the national level. We're talking about assault weapons bans. We're talking about magazine capacity limitations. We're talking about age reduction or excuse me, age increase as far as, you know, having to be 21 to purchase certain weapons, things like that. Okay. So a lot of things stay tuned for that stuff. You're going to want to hear it. Uh, We've got an interesting story to talk about arming teachers in schools and what the Colorado governor thinks about that. Plus we have, as usual, as we always feature in these episodes of the podcast, a number of justified stories. Now, by the way, Matthew, I'm surprising you with this too, by the way, I am wanting to rebrand these stories, sir. I think we need to start referring to these more often as saves. I like there are justified saves that we'll be featuring this in the podcast now. Oh, I've saved. You know. Right. You know, I mean, so often we hear on the other side of, of things, you know, th- all the bad things that guns do, supposedly, right? Uh, and, you know, even though guns are inanimate objects, we hear all these bad things. Let's start referring to the positive things because of our Second Amendment. Yeah, exactly. And it's all it's all wordsmithing that uh, that makes people understand it a little bit better. And when you hear defensive gun use, you don't know what that if you're not talking to somebody who's familiar with defensive shooting and concealed carry and that kind of stuff, defensive gun use, they don't, they don't know what that means, but you know, um, lives saved by, you know, uh, use of a gun. People can understand that. We, we need to start connecting that part of the dialogue with the, the general populace, you know, in that there are indeed lives that are saved in that if we stripped away our second amendment, if we severely hampered it in any way that we might have an impact, we might have an unintended consequence from, you know, from that other side of things. You know, these people that say we got to, we got to put more controls on guns and gun purchases and whatever else. And they think that's, that's the solution to everything, but there are unintended consequences unintended on their part. I know those sorts of things will happen because I study this crap every day and every week of my life. Lives will be lost because of greater gun control. I'm convinced of that fact. So today, by the way, this episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation, guardiannation.com. You're going to want to go check it out. If you're not a member already, why not? Go look into it. I know that uh, you know there's some amazing benefits to being a Guardian Nation member besides the online training video library, the quarterly boxes that we send out with great gear. Okay, I mean, our whole goal with Guardian Nation is to educate. That's through all the various uh, training videos and things that we do for Guardian Nation members only. It is to equip, meaning we're going to help you obtain some, some great quality gear 
at a very reasonable price. And so then that's done through the quarterly boxes. And then we're going to empower you. We're going to empower you with further knowledge. We're going to give you greater opportunities to interact uh, with us here at Concealed Carry and, and, and with the podcast, but also give you greater opportunities to interact with industry experts. And that is done through our Guardian Nation live events. We just recently had, uh, 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 oh, geez, Jeff Gonzalez on, right? And we've got some other great guests lined up coming up in the future. We will be getting those done in a more regular fashion. I know we kind of fell off the wagon there for a time, but I also want to tease and let you know, we've got some really exciting changes coming to Guardian Nation. Uh, I think you're going to really love. Uh, You're not going to want to miss out on that stuff. Get on board early, be a part of it early. I can't detail what some of those uh, changes and or improvements are yet. Just letting you know that some really great stuff is coming. For some of you guys, it's just going to totally rock your world. It's going to blow, it's going to blow your minds. So, uh, anyway, we got some folks checking in with us on Facebook today. Thanks for those of you that are viewing this on Facebook. And we also thank all of you that listen on the audio only side of things. We appreciate the feedback that you give us to the podcast. We've had some great feedback coming this week. I know I've gotten some emails and some things I'd like to address. If I have time today, I might answer or, or, or point to a couple of emails that I've recently received, but I just don't know that we're going to have the time today. I hope to maybe cover some of that on Thursday later this week because we have a lot of stuff, a lot of content we got to cover in today's episode. Um, today's other episode sponsor is the Brave Response Appendix Holster. If you haven't gotten one of those yet, if you're interested in carrying in the, in the appendix position and you'd like the comfort and the quality that, is, that the Brave Response line of products is known for, go to concealedcarry.com forward slash BR appendix to check out. And, and you, that's where you can find and purchase the Brave Response Appendix Holster. We appreciate our episode sponsors and for making this show possible. And so Matthew, that brings us to our Andrew Branca law of self-defense case of the week segment of the podcast. You ready for this? Yeah. Always a cool segment. All right here. I'm going to roll this now. Everyone, it's uh, Riley and Jacob. That's not the file. No, button number two. Thanks, Concealed Carry Podcast, for having me back on for another Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. This Case of the Week is provided for educational purposes only. If you are in need of legal advice, you must consult with an attorney in the relevant jurisdiction. This week's Case of the Week is out of the North Carolina Court of Appeals, State v. Lee a decision handed down February 20th, 2018. It's a pretty straightforward case that provides a good opportunity for a quick overview of some of the aspects of the element of innocence. In this case, the defendant Lee was in an increasingly acrimonious relationship with his longtime girlfriend. Defendant had repeatedly physically assaulted her, which angered the girlfriend's family, understandably enough, including the boyfriend of the girlfriend's mother. Defendant found himself unwelcome in the company of either his own girlfriend, or the girlfriend's family. On the night in question, the now former girlfriend, who was now living with her mother, was out on a date with another man when the defendant pulled up in a car in front of the mother's home. The defendant stayed in the car, texting the former girlfriend. The mother's boyfriend, who would be the victim in this case, arrived at the home in his own vehicle and saw the defendant sitting in the parked car. 
Immediately, of course, the two stories diverge. According to the victim, the victim approached the defendant and asked him to step outside to talk and get this handled. Instead, the defendant said, no, I got something else for you. And the defendant shot the victim three times, striking the victim in the upper thigh, in the abdomen, and in the chest one inch below the heart. According to the defendant, on the other hand, the victim angrily approached the defendant's car, stating in effect that they were going to settle their differences real quick. Then the victim rummaged in the trunk of his own vehicle, which the defendant believed to mean the victim was retrieving a handgun. And when the victim then approached the defendant's car again, the defendant then shot the victim three times. Now, undisputed was that after the defendant shot the victim, the defendant fled the scene in his car, then an hour later posted on Facebook, I'm going to use polite language here, quote, just shot a B word, A word, N word, close quote. You do the math, audience. The defendant would then turn himself into authorities two days later and be indicted for attempted murder. Now, at trial, the defendant raised the legal defense of self-defense as justification for his shooting of the victim, and the jury was instructed on self-defense. But as part of the self-defense jury instruction, they were also instructed on something called the aggressor doctrine. The aggressor doctrine essentially is an explicit instruction to the jury that if the defendant was the initial aggressor, he can't claim self-defense to justify his use of force. Now, this explicit aggressor instruction is only supposed to be given at all if there's evidence to support the possibility that the defendant could have been the initial aggressor. Here, the defendant objected to the aggressor doctrine instruction on the grounds that he was simply sitting in his car when the victim approached, and therefore it could only have been the victim, not the defendant, who was the initial aggressor. The defendant was convicted of assault with a deadly weapon with intent to kill and sentenced to four to six years in prison. And he appealed his conviction on the grounds that the trial judge made reversible error when he gave the jury the objected to jury instruction on the aggressor doctrine. Again, the defendant's essential argument is that he couldn't possibly have been the aggressor given that he was just sitting in his car when the victim approached him. Clearly, it was the victim, not the defendant, who started the fight. The appellate court, however, agreed with the trial court that the aggressor doctrine instruction was appropriate. They pointed out that the defendant misunderstood what was required in order for someone to qualify as an initial aggressor. To quote the Court of Appeals, the law does not require that a defendant start a fight to be considered an aggressor, even if his opponent starts the fight. A defendant who provokes, engages in, or continues an argument that leads to serious injury or death may be found to be the aggressor. Note that the Court of Appeals isn't saying that the defendant was the aggressor. They don't make those kinds of evidence calls. They're merely saying that one possible interpretation of the evidence at trial by the jury is that the defendant might have been the aggressor, might have provoked engaged in or continued in an argument that leads to serious injury. Given that such evidence was presented at trial, it's up to the jury to decide whether or not they believe that evidence and whether the defendant qualified as the initial aggressor. Because it was possible that the jury might so decide, it was appropriate for the trial judge to instruct them on the aggressor doctrine. As a result, the Court of Appeals found no error in the trial court giving that aggressor doctrine instruction and the defendant's conviction was affirmed. So there you go, folks. 
the threshold for a jury finding you to be the aggressor in a fight and therefore not eligible for self-defense as a legal defense is remarkably lower than you might have imagined. In fact, you can be a quote-unquote aggressor and lose self-defense even if it's the other guy who started the dispute if you provoke, engage in, or continue an argument that leads to serious injury or death. I suggest you conduct yourself accordingly. If you enjoy this content, I invite you to join us for the Law of Self-Defense live show every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's totally free to either participate live or to watch the recording after each show. For more information, point your browser to lawselfdefense.com forward slash show. Don't forget, as a listener to this podcast, you can save 10% on just about everything we do at lawselfdefense.com, including our books, DVDs, online classes, live classes, and more. Just point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash concealed carry or use the discount code CCP at checkout. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. Well, there you have it for another Law of Self-Defense case of the week. Really good lesson learned from that particular case this time, Matthew. Uh, The importance of not starting, but also not continuing a fight unnecessarily because you can turn into the aggressor and that's going to absolutely ruin your uh, opportunity to use self-defense legally. I I mean, in that fine line, even if you don't, you know, you don't believe that you're the aggressor, it could be seen that way and um, it, it could be problematic. So, you know, a lot of times we get into thinking, you know, uh, self-defense or use of a gun in self-defense is black and white. You know, either I was justified or I'm not justified. And, um, you know, I, I always try to sh- have people shy away from thinking things in black and white always when it comes to the law because um, it, it, it seldom is. And, I, I you know, um, just conduct yourselves you know, in a good moral way and, um, and try to deescalate whatever you can, whenever you can, obviously there's times you can't, but if you can always try to deescalate, try to, um, verbal judo. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, and if you think about why we use self-defense or why we use our firearm, uh, in self-defense, it's, it's the last resort, right? And so kind of, it kind of makes sense that, you know, we shouldn't be aggressive. We shouldn't be continuing um, uh, uh, taking um, the the aggressor role if and then use you know our firearm because it should be a last resort. It doesn't you know keep us from using our firearm, but uh, it always should be our last resort, and we should try to do whatever we can to preserve life. For sure, I mean, always, always, always try to avoid the conflict. I mean, try to get away if possible. Try to back out of it. Use verbal judo. You know, use your words to diffuse the situation, to to bring the tone of things down. You know, uh, it just isn't worth the trouble of continuing that altercation and it ultimately leading to a deadly force situation uh, or even a, a, a violent situation of any sort. I mean, if possible, we want to try to avoid those, period. So, Anyway, good stuff there from Andrew this week. Let's now move to our first news story for today's episode. This found in National Review, nationalreview.com. 
report, Parkland Shooter did not use high-capacity magazines, it says here. Shocking. <laughs> well, actually, it is kind of shocking. <laughs> yeah, it's shocking that we are just now finding this out, right? True, true. Uh, it, it's interesting to me. You know, I saw this and I was like, okay, you know, why did he only use 10-round mags? Because you can get bigger mags than that in, in Florida. And the reason was interesting because there's some, uh, I saw some on another story somewhere else, not in this nationalreview.com story, but it was suggested that he may have used these 10 round mags because they fit better in the bag he was carrying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> and you know, it, obviously we don't have to harp on the, on the fact that, um, these gun laws or these capacity uh, magazine capacity laws don't don't make a gun any safer, right? It doesn't make the the society safer, um, but it actually in this case actually backfired because a smaller magazine is more concealable, I guess. So, it, it, you know, it's um, it's ironic in the fact that of why he chose a smaller magazine. Um, right. And so, in, in you know, he obviously it says uh, 150 rounds or so. Is that is that what it was? I think yeah. 150 rounds. So you know, do the math. 10, 10, uh, 10 round magazines. Yes, yeah, 15, 15 mags. 15 magazines, right? So um, yeah, it says it right here. He had 150 rounds of ammunition in 10 round magazines. Larger ones would. I guess it was actually in this article. Larger ones would not fit in his bag. Florida State Senator Lauren Book revealed. Mm-hmm. It, and then, by the way, too, it says here, and I saw this as well, his AR-15 reportedly jammed as he attempted to continue his killing spree inside his former school last month. Right. I, I was shocked. You know, what, what shocked me initially when the reports were coming out um, was that when I found out that he left the scene, right, he blended in and fled the scene, because that's not your typical shooter, right? Your shooter, your typical uh, mass shooter either is stopped by self-inflicted gunshot wound or stopped because they get shot by law enforcement. They normally are not taken alive. They normally don't stop the rampage, um, especially if they have more more rounds. So I, I thought it was strange and it makes sense that his gun jammed um, because, you know, that that's the reason why he stopped. He would have continued until, um, you know, all 150 rounds were fired, I'm sure, or he got, you know, shot by law enforcement, but that was weird. Um, or that yeah. was something that struck me as odd. Yep. You know, I'm not going to try to give away my secrets, you know, anymore publicly as to how to keep those ARs running flawlessly, because clearly we need these lesser educated uh, shooters to, to uh, have malfunctions occur. Uh, you know, so a couple of things, a couple of big takeaways for me from this. Number one, now we would point at this and say, see, the, the capacity of the weapon does not matter so much, right? Because clearly he was able to, I mean, clearly he used more than one magazine. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, a 10 round magazine, we know he shot and killed 17, many, you know, a number of others outside of that wounded as well. Uh, so reloading is not an issue. Right. Now, there have been some that I've seen some, particularly on the anti gun side, that said, well, if it had been 
bigger capacity magazines, it, the death toll could have been far greater. You m- maybe, right? Like you cannot I argue either here or there for, for that sort of stance. Like maybe it would have been, maybe it wouldn't have been. You, you don't, you really don't know. Um, that, that's like saying, you know, because somebody couldn't get a hold of a certain weapon, you know, this, it, the situation would have been far worse or saying the reverse that if they couldn't get a hold of an AR-15, it would have been far less as far as the death toll. When we know that Virginia, the Virginia tech shooter did basically all of that with a couple of pistols, right? And so stop playing around with these what ifs and the you know scenarios. Here's the other big takeaway. We need to be teaching people, teaching teachers, maybe even teaching our, our youth. Um, and I know this is a very sensitive subject as far as like how much we want to uh, expose our children to. I mean, like we don't want to scare our kids necessarily, but I, I do think there's a point where you want to start educating your children, particularly high school age, that look, if this sort of thing happens at your school, not saying that it will, or but it could, it's a very slight chance. We know that school shootings are, and the deaths that result from them are very, very, very small. Uh, you know, the chance of it happening at your school is very small. We know that, right? But if it were to happen, a couple of things that we can take away from this, teach people to look for opportunities to stop the attacker, right? Number one, if he has a malfunction, teach your children or teach people, teach teachers, whatever, teach them to recognize malfunction. That's a prime opportunity. I guarantee you he's fiddling for seconds trying to figure out that malfunction. Step in, you know, take him down. Two, teach him to recognize a reload, okay? It may only be two seconds, but that may be two seconds that you have that opportunity to step in and put a stop to to things, right? And so those are two big takeaways from this that that I think we learn that hey, we need to be we need to we need to understand and recognize what those situations look like because they create opportunities for us to step in and, and put a stop and end to an end to things. Yeah, it wasn't the um, as you were talking, wasn't the um, I thought of this. That uh, terrorist attack in France where those three American, I think they were National Guard or something like that, um, and they stopped they stopped that shooting, his gun jammed. Didn't he have like an AK came on the on the train with an AK or something jammed and then they they uh, they took care of him when, when his gun went down. So, yeah, that's I mean, that's a, yep. a great, great point. That, that's right. Uh, have you seen that movie, by the way? I haven't. No. The what was it? The. 317 or 315 or 215. I can't remember exactly what the time was, you know, to, to Paris. My wife and I went and saw that, that video or that movie. Um, pretty, pretty, I mean, it's an amazing story, right? Uh, just know that that movie is probably not what you expect it to be going into it as far as how it was produced, how it's put together. But the story is remarkable. And I'm, I'm pleased that uh, particularly Clint East, Eastwood, who's the director of it, that he put that story out there to the masses. Uh, and I think that kind of stuff should be celebrated the way it was. I mean, these guys were heroes. Uh, a couple of them were veterans, right? The one guy, he's a, he's a, he was, he's in the air force and the other guy was uh, in the army, uh, but they were good friends and they had met up for this trip in Europe. And I mean, and then they had another friend tagging along with them who was not in the military, but this is an amazing story. 
which is why we should feature our justified save stories and get that stuff out to the masses more. Very, very true. I'd like to see movies made about everyday Joes and Janes stopping brutal attacks and perhaps even massacres from occurring because a good guy with a gun was able to, to be there and stop it. Yeah. First, if we could get the media to buy off on at least <laughs> raising them to a, uh, to a not- notable uh, place on the, on their webpage or their, their newspaper, then that'd be first step. And then we can move towards movies. seems like Clint, yep. Eastwood's, <laughs> Clint Eastwood's taking the ball though. <laughs> By the way, Matt checks in and says, the gun grabbers will say, see, 10 is too many. And uh, I completely agree with you, Matt. And I've made that point before that we see this story and, okay, so he only used 10, 10 round mags and clearly he could still inflict all this damage, right? And, and then they'll just turn around and use that and say, well, you see, this is why we just need to outlaw all semi-automatics altogether. And I do think that's where we're going with this. Yeah, uh, he makes a uh, Matt, awesome point. And uh, that's why the slippery slope argument is always uh, in the back of a lot of people's minds because we know that it doesn't matter if it's a 30-round magazine or a 10-round magazine. And, uh, and once that, that ban uh, doesn't produce the results of eliminating every shooting, they have to, they have to ban something more. And, and C10 is too many. So let's just you know ban the gun itself. So Yep. Well, we still have plenty to talk about, so let's get on to the next story here. And this story is gun rights advocates take aim at new age restrictions on the Washington Times, WashingtonTimes.com. And uh, we've seen several stories reported where stores, gun stores themselves, are choosing to limit restrictions of certain weapons or firearms to minimum age of 21 or older, right? And mm-hmm. now we're seeing, too, uh, you know, laws that have been proposed to that same effect saying, hey, we need to have all gun purchases being age 21 or older. Um, we're seeing also Dick's Sporting Goods, Walmart, and other stores that are imposing restrictions uh, on the sales that they're doing in their stores. Dick's, we know, and Walmart last week uh, stepped in and said, you know what? we're now raising our minimum age purchasing requirement to, to 21. And uh, I, I think that's a great travesty to see that number one, these guys are so short-sighted to, to do something like that, to not be able to see beyond, uh, you know, the issue and see the bigger issue that's behind all this stuff. Uh, you know, because really w- what they're doing is not going to solve anything, right? It's purely just, a knee-jerk emotional reaction that this is what feels good. This is what we feel like we need to do. We feel like this is what uh, our our customers want us to do, which that's debatable, obviously. But I also said here that Kroger and other major national brands have announced they'll impose an age requirement. I'm not sure Kroger has any stores that sells any guns. So I I don't know. I didn't. I must have missed that somewhere in the news. But anyway, I know that this is controversial. Lots of people. I said, well, we should boycott these stores. Um, you know, and people have said, well, this is against the Second Amend- Amendment. We should sue these people. And in fact, that's what this next story uh, is is touching on. And by the way, before I get to the next story, Matthew Marister, 
the, the one and only here on the podcast today is quoted in this article, which I know that's why he, he wanted to talk about this. Of today. course, of course. That's why I put it in here because uh, I, I got a, it was weird. I got a, I got an email from the David Scherfinski. He's, he wrote the article for uh, the Washington Times. And I was like, oh, wow. And he said, hey, I'm writing this article about, you know, the legality um, of, of these stores banning um, the sale of people 21 and under, um, is it legal? Is there, you know, a legal argument based on an age discrimination? Um, uh, you know, because in 1968's, um, um, law prohibiting, you know, uh, creating protected classes. Right. And so, um, you know, I, my personal opinion was that, um, there probably would be some sort of argument at least to be made for that. Um, and, uh, because, you know, the, the gun itself is legal to own, um, by somebody who's 19 or 20 and you're prohibiting that person from buying a legal product that they should be able to buy based on their age. Um, so, so yeah, so we kind of got back and forth into that and, um, and then the next day or a couple of days later, I saw the other, other article. So I thought it was kind of a cool little thing that uh, we were talking about it. And then sure enough, um, we have somebody suing dicks in, in the next article. Um, we talk about somebody actually yep. suing dicks, a 20-year-old suing dicks for that exact reason. Yep. And that is what this next article right here, you'll see 20-year-old sues Dix and Walmart over new gun policies. Uh, this is out of Portland, Oregon, reported on the WashingtonPost.com. And it says, an Oregon man filed suits Monday claiming Dix Sporting Goods and Walmart discriminated against a 20-year-old when they refused to sell him a rifle. Dix and Walmart restricted gun sales to adults 21 and older. In the wake of the Florida high school massacre, the 19-year-old accused in the school slang bought the AR-15 used in the attack legally. Oregon law allows residents to buy shotguns or rifles starting at age 18, just like pretty much everywhere else for the most part. <laughs> Tyler Watson's lawsuits filed against the retailers in two separate counties claim he faced age discrimination from Dix and Walmart, the Oregonian slash Oregon Live reported. The lawsuit is believed to be the first filed over the new gun policies enacted on February 28th. The lawsuit claims a store owned by Dick's Sporting Goods in Medford, Oregon, refused to sell Watson a 22 caliber Ruger rifle on February 24th. The suit says Grant's passed Walmart in Oregon refused to sell him a gun on March 3rd. By the way, if he set this up, and I kind of think that he may have done, mm -hmm. you know, I think you have this 20-year-old that went into these two stores to, to test them. It, I think he's brilliant because he's like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to try to buy a 22. Exactly. <laughs> you know, a semi-automatic 22, you know, not a, not an AR, not a two, two, three, not a five, five, six, a 22 long rifle. I'm going to go in and try to buy a semi-automatic 22 and they're going to turn me down and whammo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And, and that's the thing about it. You know, we have these knee jerk reactions and we think that it's, it's going to feel good um, if we do this and we don't really, it, 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 not us. We, when I say we, I'm talking about the, the overall conversation that's going on is we have to do something. So let's just ban nobody under 21 should be able to own a rifle. And then you start to see the, the practical application of that is so problematic. I mean, think, think of this, and, and this 
I've been thinking about this a lot and I, I actually, I pulled up, I wrote an article about some stats that would, would be very, are very good to uh, understand the context of this. But think of this, you could take an 18 year old and they can be charged as an adult and put into a prison with male adult prisoners. They can, um, they can vote they can drive a 2000 pound vehicle at 80 miles an hour down the, down the freeway and, and crash it in and kill a family because uh, they were on their, uh, on their cell phone. Um, you know, we, we allow 18 year olds to um, decide on their, let's say reproductive uh, rights. So, 18 year old can go in and get a, an abortion and make that decision. Right. But yep. now all of a sudden we are saying, well, if you're 18 years old, there's no way, there's no reason. And, and, and you're totally not responsible enough to own an AR 22 rifle. And when you start just putting the facts out there, it, it doesn't, it doesn't hold up and um, it's more problematic and it doesn't solve a problem. So I think, uh, I think it's interesting because I know there's a lot of, um, uh, unconstitutional laws that are being enforced right now. And they, they only become unconstitutional when somebody challenges it and it goes up, you know, the, the court process. So uh, kudos to him, you know, if he fails, if it gets thrown out, gets thrown out, but um, kudos to him for, for doing that. And I honestly think, you know, there should be more and just inundate these companies with lawsuits until they realize you cannot continue to um, alienate your base customers to our law abiding citizens. I mean, th- these aren't, left-wing stores. These are hunting stores. These are, you know, so it, it's just, it, it's sad. It's sad that, that that it's gotten to that point. It really is. You know, I, I've looked at this and, and given it some thought and, and certainly I'm no constitutional, you know, attorney or anything like that, but uh, I, do, I do think I understand the constitution pretty well compared, especially to your average American. Um, and this is an interesting one, right? Because you do have certain products that are, you know, that have age restrictions. I mean, obviously alcohol and cigarettes, tobacco, you know, all that sort of stuff, certain drugs, et cetera. Um, You know, and so, well, is that, you know, does that fall in the same category? And I I think that if there was a case to be made for those other products, you know, not discriminating on age, uh, I think that would have already been tested and tried and probably has been but this one is unique in that, that in most states, most jurisdictions, especially the possession of these, of, of, of these rifles, these semi-automatic rifles is still legal, uh, you know, for 18, 19, 20 year olds uh, that restricting the, the ability to purchase that legal item. That is where it is a little bit different and it is interesting. So, you know, we'll just have to see how this sort of thing plays out. I frankly think it's got a long uphill battle. I think it's mm-hmm. probably a long shot, but you never know. Yeah, I agree with you. So it's, it's an uphill battle, but uh, the fact that it, 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 what I would say is if you think that this is correct, then petition the law to change and make it illegal. That's the way to do it. Don't just go off yeah. on your own and say, we're going to, we're going to start not 
you know, selling legal items to, you know, what if, what, I mean, they could do that with a, a specific race or a specific gender. What if they said, I don't want to sell, you know, rifles to, to women, you know, yeah. could they, could they do that? I mean, I, I don't know. Um, well, statistically speaking, Matthew, since most mass shooters are male, <laughs> we should actually restrict purchases to males only. Right, right. Or, or and, yeah, restrict it from them. <laughs> right, and, and since and since uh, they're they're normally more left wing um, ideologues, and uh, you know, so maybe <laughs> there there hasn't been a mass shooter that's been an NRA member. So I don't know. Maybe if you have an NRA uh, membership, that you you get. You can buy a rifle. I don't know. That seems fair. Five million people can't be wrong. <laughs> so, you know, as a final uh, wrap up to, to this particular topic, um, you know, I, I just wonder how, how much more of this type of stuff we're going to see. Uh, I suspect we haven't seen the end of it because there's still a lot of passion, a lot of emotion behind this. But let's do be clear that in a general sense, I mean, I'm a big believer in Second Amendment, you know, rights, of course, the right to keep and bear arms. That's a big basis of my life. Uh, but I am also a big believer in freedom in general. And freedom to me says that a business ought to be able to do business in the way that they want to do business with. I mean, there's obviously some exceptions, right? Uh, but, and some restrictions for business. But in general, in a general sense, I'm not terribly crazy about forcing a business to say we can't sell a certain item to somebody because we just we just that's our that's our own you know business principle or whatever it is so at least in that basis it is one of those issues where i'm kind of torn uh certainly i my feeling is they have the right to to do this to raise those purchase ages to 21 but i also have a right not to shop at their business but what's interesting and matt made a comment on facebook that that kind of brings this into play you know he's kind of like Hey, you know, Kroger is generally a pro two way brand. Uh, we've covered that before where they, they, and I don't know that that would, they, that they go out of their way to be pro two way, right? But they make it very clear that, hey, we follow the laws of the local jurisdictions where we do business as it relates to possession of guns and concealed carry and all that. Now, this actually would be a little bit of a deviation from that because they are saying, uh, and he pointed out that in 43 of its 133 Fred Myers locations, which is Kroger brand owned, that they actually do sell guns and that in those stores, they've instituted this 21 age uh, uh, limit. And, 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 and that's interesting because that is actually no longer following the local state and federal laws for those jurisdictions. So, you know, it's kind of like, well, in the same token, you have Walmart that's generally pro two way, uh, totally you know, okay with concealed carry and, and things like that, and even open carry in states where it's legal to do so in their stores. But they're making it a lot more difficult to be supportive of those businesses when they are making these types of stances and, and drawing a line in the sand. Next up, we got a story here out of Florida. And this is where the Florida Senate just passed a bill to restrict gun sales. Now, keep in mind, this is just the Senate, okay? Uh, they passed on Monday legislation aimed at improving school safety and restricting gun purchases, but they did not go so far as to include a ban on weapons like the AR-15 style rifle used in the Parkland, Florida shooting. Florida Senate Bill 7026, known as the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Act. Of course, they have to name it after the school where that thing happened. 
because that's going to make everybody feel a lot more warm and fuzzy, but it would raise the age of those who could purchase a firearm from 18 to 21, require a three-day waiting period for most gun purchases, and ban bump stocks, which makes it possible for a semi-automatic weapon to fire at the rate of an automatic. Now, of course, we could completely blow apart and debunk all these things. I mean, number one, three-day waiting period would not have stopped or prevented uh, that Parkland shooting from happening because he had those guns and purchased them legally months in advance. Uh, bump stock is not a product, it's a technique, you know, bump firing, that is. And, uh, you know, so once again, you know, we have legislation being proposed and passed. Now, this has to still go through the House, which, you know, that's probably, you know, that's going to be probably a little bit more difficult to do and still would have to get signed by Florida Governor Rick Scott. And it says here that he is they feel like that it is likely to pass the Republican controlled house. Um, and it's likely that governor Scott will sign it because he's escaped or a, uh, a turncoat, you know, he's generally been pro two a, but he's completely, you know, turning around on this issue. Yeah. And the problem with a lot of these bills is that in it, they'll hide some, some good things like I'm, I'm looking at it and part of it is a uh, it includes a $67 million uh, voluntary school marshal program, um, which would give school districts the option of allowing staff members to conceal carry after 132 hours of firearm training and 12 hours of diversity training. Okay. That, that right there, I think is logical. I, I, I mean, I could totally support that, but I can't support some, some of the other things. So now you know, that's, this is why when you see um, the politicians come out and say, well, they're against this bill. Well, they're not against everything. They're against certain parts of it. And, and I, 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 you know, it's unfortunate that you can't just get these things, these bills passed individually or just break them down into smaller pieces because I think a lot more would get done that way. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. This is how they, how they work. So, yeah. Now, don't be tricked into thinking, okay, this school marshal program is a good thing in the way this is structured. There, there's probably some, some other fault, fault, faults or flaws I could find in this, but let me just point out one thing here. To get through that training, okay, to become a school marshal, and it says it's open to school or to staff members, which I assume would include teachers that chose to, to do this, right? It's a voluntary school marshal program. They are saying they have to complete 132 plus 12 hours of training. It's 144 hours. That is 18 days of training. That is no small feat for yeah. A school teacher. So it, it, the way I read this, yeah, you might have a couple or a few teachers that are able to do this. Maybe their schools are open to allowing them to take that time off or encouraging them to go do this. But that's kind of insane in my opinion. That's a, I mean, I'm not saying training is a bad thing. Obviously, training is a great thing. But mandating that it must be 18 days worth of training, I don't think you're going to see a lot of teachers that are able to comply with this. And thus, once again, we are passing laws that don't actually address the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, getting rid of the bump stocks, raising the purchase age, three-day waiting period. 
a voluntary school martial program that has very difficult to comply with training standards for most staff members of schools. And this has the name of Marjorie Stoneman High School attached to the bill as if this is going to fix what happened there. It's a bunch of BS in my in my humble opinion. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's, um, it's, but you know, they have to do something. Everybody calls on them to do something. So they, they put together these bills that, you know, everybody throws their two cents in and, and, um, and I think a lot of times they know it's not going to pass. They, they put stuff in there that they know is not going to pass, but they have to have their name on a bill that they co-sponsored because they have to go back and say, well, at least I did something, but they don't want to, they don't want to sign it, you know, cause they, yeah. they're for killing kids and, and, but I did what I could. And so it just, it just causes more divisiveness. Yeah. It's no easy thing, I think, to be in to be a government representative in the state of Florida right now, because you will be very unpopular. It will appear uh, with the public there, with your constituents, if you don't get on board with these gun control, you know, uh, proposals, um, which is sad to see in a state that generally has been very gun friendly, like the state of Florida that has mm. favor- favorable laws and, uh, you know, now you have this one, and this thing was terrible. I mean, I've said it before, we don't mean to, to make light of what happened at Marjorie Stoneman, but we, we can't pass laws that don't actually fix anything and, and, and say that, that now things are a lot better. <sighs> Next up, kind of a, uh, along similar line of thinking, this story on pjmedia.com, Colorado governor can count on one hand teachers who've wanted to be armed. Now, I, I actually requested that we talk about this story today, Matthew, because obviously this is in Colorado, which is where I live. Uh, so there's that that tie-in. But this this is a kind of a funny story to me. <laughs> Let me explain why, Okay. Here's, here's the rundown. Colorado Democratic Governor John Hickenlooper said he is open to considering a proposal to train and arm teachers. Okay. Credit where credit's due. I applaud him for that. He's open to that idea. He's a Democratic governor, right? Not a lot of Democratic governors are probably open to that idea. But then he says he doubts many of them would want that responsibility. He told PJ Media he visited more than 160 public schools as mayor of Denver shortly after the Columbine mass shooting, and hardly any teachers indicated that they wanted the ability to carry firearms. He says here, I've probably talked to 1,000 teachers, and this was not too long after Columbine happened in 1999, and we discussed those kinds of questions all the time. I can count on one hand the number of people that wanted to be trained and wanted to be carrying handguns or weapons in their schools, he said at a National Governors Association winter meeting over the weekend. So I think if there's a large number of people that want to take the training and make sure they are fully equipped to do this, anything we could do to make our school safer, I think we should look at. But I don't think most teachers are going to want anything to do with that. Now, that may be true that most maybe do not want to deal with that. But for him to stand up and say, 19 years ago, (laughs) 
I talked to a thousand teachers and I can count on one hand the number of teachers that wanted to be armed on campus. That's an invalid argument. Completely invalid. Things have changed since since 1999. I'm sorry to say, Governor Hickenlooper. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you talk to a lot of police agencies at that time, their their tactics to responding to a active shooter would be completely different than how they are now because we've learned things. And uh, and I I suggest or I I, I would ask him if he would go to talk to another thousand teachers, maybe now, maybe, you know, and see if the, their sentiments haven't changed. And, um, and so the, the problem is, is that it's, it's the, the, that argument, not only is it invalid because it's so old, but it does, it's, it's invalidating people that want to take that responsibility and saying, well, we just, we won't do it because there's not enough people that are interested in it. Well, what about, what if there are five people that teachers that want to do that? So they can't do that. You know, if, if they're yep. willing to jump through these hoops, why, why prohibit them from doing it? Because there's not, a, you know, a thousand teachers. We don't, there's not, you know, the, the majority of United States citizens don't carry a firearm all the time. They don't want that, you know, that responsibility. Does that mean that we should outlaw, you know, concealed handguns? Because not there's not a majority that want it. it it's just an invalid argument, completely. Yeah, absolutely is. You know, this uh, national governors uh, meeting that they were having, right? Uh, several governors here uh, they were commenting also on this idea of arming teachers. So Nevada Republican Governor Brian Sandoval, chairman of the NGA, the National Governors Association, he disagreed with training and arming teachers as a way to prevent gun violence. He says, no, I question that. I'm really concerned about having teachers who may not be properly trained to be carrying firearms at school. Uh, I think there may be some other solutions we could talk about. Okay, that, that's certainly true. But I, I would follow up a question to him. Why does he question that? You know, I mean, we, we trust our teachers to teach our kids. And they are some of the finest upstanding, you know, members of society that we have. And I, I just, I always have to ask this question. What problem do we have with teachers that we trust, that are background checked, and perhaps we have some minimal, and I'm not saying this is what I believe in necessarily, but perhaps we have some reasonable training standard for them to do so, okay? I don't necessarily agree with that or believe in that because I don't like arbitrary training standards because just like this one in Florida where they're proposing 144 hours of training for their teachers to be able to do so, that's insane, Right? And that's the problem with arbitrary training standards. But anyway, I would ask him, why, why does he question that as a solution? All right? It's a, it's a valid question to his stance. I'd love to hear his response. Number two, New Jersey Democratic Governor Phil Murphy says, to answer this is not more guns, it's less guns. Which also begs the question, why? When, you know, it takes somebody with a gun to show up and usually a law enforcement officer put a stop to that sort of thing. So once again, of course, we shouldn't be surprised coming from governor, new governor Murphy there. So anyway, here we go. Let's move on to the next story. This is, this is important and critical to cover. Uh, there has been now officially proposed in our, uh, in, in our U S Congress, we have a law proposed 
of a new assault weapons ban. Put this up on the screen. H.R. 5087, 5087, assault weapons ban of 2018. All right. And you can see here all the list of sponsors. Yeah, there's a bunch of them, mostly Democratic, of course. And this act, it says, may be cited as the assault weapons ban of 2018. Uh, it, there's all kinds of definitions talking about semi, semi-automatic pistols, shotguns, assault weapons. This, this law is targeting basically semi-automatic weapons. Okay. That's, that's a key uh, thing to understand here. Uh, it, it also is bringing back the age old, you know, assault weapons ban that we had through the nineties and early two thousands. Uh, but yeah, I don't know that this is going to go anywhere, but it certainly has to make those Democratic leaders feel better about themselves. Hey, you know, we proposed the assault weapons ban of 2018. That once again, probably won't do a darn thing as far as stopping these school shootings. Matthew, your thoughts on this? Yeah, just real quick as I was reading or looking over the the text of it. Um, I mean, there's a lot of guns that are exempted in there. Um, and it's weird Um you know, you would think that a rifle that shot a like a three thirty eight Lapua round would be, you know, if you were going to ban that, or you know, a firearm that shot a twenty two long rifle round, or a you know two two three or something. I mean, they're not. It's like twice the size. It's twice the velocity. It's just it's it's yep. surprising to me that um that the people that write these bills continue to have no idea don't don't pay it enough attention to do the research to understand what the heck they're they're talking about yep here you go here's some of the further language uh that basically let's see here actually that was not the section i was looking for but they're looking at restricting magazine size okay 10 no more than 10 rounds this would be on again on the national level. This is not just for a certain state. This is this would be a federal law bringing back a limitation of ten rounds uh, or less for magazines, um, restricting all sorts of semi-automatic firearms, including some pistols. And here's the firearms list that's exempted that you can see here. Okay, there's quite a few that are exempted, right? Yeah. Well, good for them. Kudos to them. Good luck. Yeah. Have fun with that one. All right. On to the next thing, you know, we have sometimes talked on the podcast about YouTube and other channels of media, social media included, that are anti-gun. And YouTube obviously is well known for, uh, there's been issues in the last year, even in recent couple of years, where firearms related channels have been shut down because of supposedly violating uh you know, policies, I guess, of YouTube. And this article on foxnews.com, removal of some pro-gun content was mistake, YouTube says. And so it has been talked about and reported on that several YouTube channels were shut down. A recent one was uh, the Military Arms Channel, which is hosted by uh, Tim, Tim uh, Kennedy. And, or excuse, I just said Kennedy, Tim Harmson. And Tim basically was given a warning, hey, you know, some of your your videos have been removed. And he basically came out and said, you know, I'm going to take a break for a while, right, until some of this stuff is sorted out. YouTube has now come out and said that their new team of content moderators 
removed pro-gun videos in the days following the for February 14th mass shooting in Florida high school. Okay. And they're in the process of hiring tons of more human moderators to make sure the correct videos, inappropriate videos are removed from YouTube. But apparently, and it sounds like it was a failure in training that some of these moderators have mis- supposedly mistakenly removed appropriate pro guns, pro gun uh, videos from, from YouTube. And so I, I do have to give credit, credit where credit is due as far as like, okay, good on you, YouTube for making it right. Okay. And, and putting out a statement too, saying, look, we got, guys, we screwed up. All right. We're trying to fix that now. We're trying to get these guys brought on board. We're trying to train them the right way. So they know what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Right. But uh, still, this is going to be an ongoing issue where we have social media and things. I mean, clearly Facebook is not pro-gun. Twitter is obviously not pro, pro-gun in a general sense, right? Same is true with Instagram. It's owned by Facebook. YouTube is not. This is going to be an ongoing issue in our industry. People that, you know, and obviously those, those channels, those spaces, those social media sites want to be viewed as a place where everybody can share and everybody can be part of a community but only if it matches what they view as being appropriate content. And so it's going to continue to be an issue. Yeah. Uh, until some of in the tech sector and the media and stuff, um, you know, become more conservative in nature, but you know, the, that that's just the nature of those industries. And so um, I think, you know, I, I, there's always, you know, I've seen some Second Amendment websites pop up for like sharing videos and things. And it's like, oh, this is going to take over YouTube and, and that. But in reality, the Internet is is so controlled by Google, YouTube, Facebook. I mean, to, to fight those uh, powers that be are, are, are extremely difficult. And, uh, and, and frankly, I, I don't know if anybody in the tech sector is, is conservative enough to mount, you know, a challenge to them. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll see where this goes as well. I mean, I'm going to keep a close eye on YouTube, of course, as I always do. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully they get this all worked out. They get their new moderators brought on board, trained properly. And hopefully we don't see so many YouTube channels getting taken down. That shouldn't necessarily be taken down. You know, in my opinion, if it's not, overtly, uh, uh, you know, dangerous in some way, if it's not encouraging kids to go shoot up schools and stuff like that, then, you know, if it's just covering guns and showing, you know, Hey, there's this new Caltech RDB, you know, and here we are shooting it. Like if that's all it is, there's no reason why that content can't be out there. I do recognize YouTube owns their space. You know, maybe we need a place where, I mean, I know there are places, by the way, guys, I know there are sites, uh, I mean, where you can, go and, and there, there are pro-gun sites. Uh, what is it? Full30.com, you know, big, big uh, uh, video hosting site that is all gun-related content. Uh, I know that stuff exists, but it's not taking off the way it really needs to for it to really be. I mean, people are still invested, even in the gun community, in Facebook, in Twitter, in YouTube. Uh, I mean, I have moved, I've, I've created accounts on some of these other sites, um, even social media sites, testing some of them out that are, you know, supposedly not going to restrict things uh, that are, you know, pro two way, but it's still not quite 
taking off and getting out there to the masses the way I, it, I feel it needs to for it to really be viable, self-sustaining platforms. Um, anyway, so we'll keep an eye on this. Now, I did want to respond. We got Linwood that commented in here. Uh, he's wondering when we're going to talk about something fun. Uh, and, and I respect that, Linwood, because I do like to talk about fun stuff. And we do cover, obviously, he, he said new gun, new accessories, new reinforced tactics are all fun things. Uh, he says the first 45 minutes have been painful listening to you guys beat the same dead horse. I hear you, Linwood. But right now, there's a, there's a big time battle going on in this country over gun rights. And, you know, I have a platform here, Concealed Carry Podcast, to inform, to educate, and to make sure that we don't see our Second Amendment restricted further that is going to infringe on those fun things. Frankly, I'm on the record as not being for the banning of bump stocks. I know that it was used, supposedly, I still haven't seen the hard evidence for that, but I know that it was bump stocks were supposedly used in Las Vegas and, you know, whatever, all right? But why should we ban something that is not a product, it's a technique? I can bump stock anything, right? And so I know that's a small thing, but when we start talking about passing laws that are restricting these things, it is, in fact, a slippery slope. We see it all the time we're going to restrict things down to 10 round magazines, right? But then we find out that the Parkland shooter was using 10 round magazines. So it's going to go to the next step. And we already are hearing this talk. We should ban all semi-automatics, especially semi-automatic rifles. That, all that should just be banned. That's where the talk, that's where the dialogue is headed. And yeah, we'll get back to the fun stuff. I promise you we'll get back to the fun stuff. But right now, and I know that you guys, you're watching this podcast or you're, you're listening to this podcast because you're pro two, you're pro two a, you are pro gun. It's preaching to the choir. But I also see arguments that are made on the pro gun side that are not the right arguments to be making. So we got to be clear on, on what our positioning is to be clear on how we communicate to people the right stance, you know, on advocating for the second amendment. Um, you want something fun? <laughs> well, we'll get to something fun. And I do think, by the way, our justified save stories, I think are fun. I mean, they're, they're, they're not fun things that happen to people, but they should, they are fun in the sense that people save lives with guns every day in this country. And we should celebrate that fact. And thus, We'll call that our fun content for today. And here it comes in just a moment. I did want to bring to your attention, we have one more thing here to get to before our justified save stories for today. And that is, uh, I'm going to be writing an article for our website. So the link will be in the show notes of the podcast when the audio version of the show goes live. Um, and uh, But for, for today, the, I, can share, I can share the screen, but for those of you on Facebook only, uh, Andrew Branca of Law of Self-Defense, who does our, our uh, case of the week portion of the show that we produce or show or shared with you earlier today. He also wrote a, a really great document, and it's highlighting a recent ruling in the Arizona Supreme Court just last week. Okay, so February, late February 2018, the, in a state or in a case, state versus Carson. So Arizona State versus Carson, okay. A, this is a very important ruling. 
it overturns decades of that state's self-defense law. And the key thing here is that it overturns in a, what has been an important element of a self-defense case in the past in that if you claimed that you did not commit a certain crime, meaning you're on trial for killing or murdering somebody, so, you know, that's, that's, that's the charge. And you say, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. That's your defense. If you state that basically based on three or four different critical cases in Arizona case law, you could not then later turn around and say, oh, actually it was in self-defense because self-defense by its nature as a defense is an admission of, a, you know, you, you did this thing. It's a confession of I shot and killed this guy, right? So the self-defense defense is a confession to a, what could be a potential crime depending on circumstances. And so if you say, initially say, I didn't do this, and then turn around and say, no, actually it was in self-defense. That was basically the, the past case law that existed, three or four different cases said, you can't do that because it can't be this thing. And then later this thing, like, it, you know, what is the truth here? Right. And so the Arizona Supreme Court this last week in this state versus Carson case, he appealed his conviction where he shot and killed a couple people. And then he tried, he, he later, basically his, his defense attorney said, I want the jury in his case, I want the jury to be given instructions on self-defense. And the judge's like, nope, can't do that because you're saying you didn't do it. That has now been overturned. And this is a very important distinction. And so now the, the way this is being basically explained is you can maybe initially claim that you didn't do something, but in the event that the jury thinks that maybe you did, but maybe the circumstances of that, assuming you did do it, point to self-defense, all right? And that that can be considered. And so the distinction is, or what this means for us, is that it does expand uh, the rights, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word to say or to use. And I'm going to let Matthew chime in with his thoughts on this. It does expand things for the rest of us, but that includes the criminals too. So this might also, so while it might make things easier for a citizen uh, pleading his case, you know, provided it gets to that point in a self-defense case, it might also make it easier for certain criminals that actually did do bad things to get off, on, uh, get off the hook. Yeah, I, I I think this this case is so it's so cool to me. I love these types of things, but um, for the for the simple fact that, like you said, um, these affirmative defense you know charges or or pleas where you basically have to admit to something, um, and then uh, so you, you know so you, you have to admit that you've done something and then basically justify it by meeting a certain criteria, right? And so um, the fact that that they overturned this law and said, yeah, I mean, if, if, if you're going to say I didn't do it and, and the jury has the opportunity or the ability to look at it and say, yeah, we think based on the evidence that you did do it, 
They should also be able to say, you know, when, when they're given instructions as far as lesser included offenses and things like that, they should also get self-defense because maybe there is an argument for self-defense. You didn't make that argument, but maybe they, they believe it, it better fits, you know, a self-defense um, uh, situation. So, you know, when somebody, when, when you're charged with murder or if you're charged with murder, typically that's not the only uh, jury instructions that or instructions that the judge will give the jury. They'll give, you know, this is the, this is the standard for murder. This is the standard for, you know, uh, uh, reckless homicide. This is justifiable homicide. They'll get, they'll give the different categories and say, based on that, you guys go deliberate and, and look at the evidence in which one do you find this, you know, this person to be guilty of, or what do you, what do you think is uh, most appropriate? And I think it's appropriate to put in there self-defense because, you know, it, it, that's a possibility too. So I, I, I thought it was really interesting. Um, you know, I, I loved reading it and I can't wait to hear your article because that kind of stuff just, I don't know, I, I'm a nerd that way with case law and things. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, D- Douglas comments here on Facebook, he says, uh, what about claiming self-defense first, then claiming something else? Like, as in, no, actually, I didn't do that. So that's the problem with that that argument, Douglas. It, it, these two sides of the coin are, I mean, they're exactly that. They're opposite sides of the coin. They're two different things. They are in opposition to each other. So that's why in the in the past, you couldn't say, I didn't do that, and then later come out and say, oh, actually, I did. It was in self-defense because you just said two different things and the same is true by claiming self-defense first and then later saying no I didn't do that because you already confessed to the fact that you did it by saying I did it and it was in self-defense that's 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 why this is so this is this is really shaking things up there in Arizona to my knowledge this is the only state in the US that has anything like this uh, so this really bucks the trend uh, as far as you know case law goes where it comes to elements of self-defense and, and how that case can be argued. Uh, you, you basically cannot, except for now in Arizona, argue, no, that wasn't me. That was mistaken identity. No, I didn't do that. I wasn't there. I have an alibi, whatever it is. And then later say, no, I changed my mind on that. I actually did do this thing, but it was in self-defense. So I should get off the hook. So Douglas follows up with a comment that it's another loophole for criminals to get through. Uh, Yeah. I mean, maybe it is a loophole. I I don't know if I would go so far as to say it's a loophole, but it does perhaps open that door to make it a little bit easier for certain things to get through, you know, and successfully as far as a successful self-defense argument. Clearly most people are law abiding people. And from the get go, the story will be, look, I'm a normal dude. I was just trying to defend myself and that's going to be your, that's going to be your case. Most people don't say they didn't do it first and then say, actually, I'm, I'm a good dude. I just, I just didn't <laughs> want to admit it first. I did it right anyway. All right. So that's an interesting story. And that, that's why we, we shared that. And uh, uh, thanks to Andrew Brink for bringing that to our attention as far as that, that's a, that's a major shift in case law in the state of Arizona. So be aware of that. All right, so now we're to our justified saves section of the uh, podcast today, and we've got here from fox5atlanta.com, Woodstock, Georgia, 
a uh, Cherokee. Actually, was this the one that we were going to, excuse me. I'm, I, I, I shared the wrong story. Corpus crispy woman shoots at men who broke into her home to assault her. That's the story I actually wanted. Caller.com. The caller times reports at a Corpus crispy Christie, uh, Texas, a 29-year-old man was arrested after breaking into his ex-girlfriend's home and assaulting her early Monday, it says, and another man ended up with a gunshot wound to his buttocks. Police responded to a disturbance with shots fired around 1.30 a.m. in an apartment complex. A 30-year-old woman told police her ex-boyfriend broke into her apartment by breaking a window and then assaulted her, Lieutenant J.C. Hooper said. The woman and man argued and shots were fired outside the home, Three neighbors assaulted the man who then ran away from, and it's interesting they use that language, but then he then ran away from the complex. Hooper said that the police report states there was a 25-year-old man at the scene with the suspect. He suffered a minor gunshot wound to his buttocks. Bullet casings indicated more than one shot was fired uh, and that the victim was the one who fired shots at the men. Kind of a confusing story it's hard to know exactly what was going on and how it played out but you know this is one of the ones i highlighted earlier you know i i I sort of teased this story earlier in the show saying we're going to talk about a couple cases today that may have been domestic violence related and i think those are really important to point out because sometimes victims need a gun to keep their exes from harming them yeah, and it also highlights the problem um, that, that can arise when, um, not the problem, but the confusion that can develop on who's the aggressor, what's going on when it's a domestic type situation. You know, did she follow him out? Did, you know, or, or, or were they trying to make amends and then he flipped out and attacked her? And so, you know, these types of, of domestic violence cases are are particularly um, difficult to to say 100% who's right and who's wrong. Um, but yeah, I, this, this one doesn't sound like a, you know, apartment complex I'd want to live in, probably not get much sleep because <laughs> people are beating people up and shooting and all kinds of stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, she, she obviously felt like she was in fear of death or serious bodily injury. So she shot, um, you know, it doesn't say anything if she's going to be facing charges or, or whatnot. Oh, it does say, uh, or no, it doesn't talk about her. It's not clear whether she would or not. So, um, it, it doesn't say that, but just so that we're clear, because, uh, Douglas says it sounds like she missed with a shot. So her boyfriend was ex-boyfriend was the 29 year old, but there was multiple individuals that were involved in breaking in and assaulting her. Okay. And so the 25 year old man, that was the one that was shot in the butt. He was actually arrested on arrested on suspicion of burglary with intent to commit another crime. So he was also one of those in the party that was breaking in and committing the crime uh, in the victim's home. So whether she missed the boyfriend and hit this other guy may not be relevant because he was also one of the, one of the aggressors or, or one of the assaulters, if you will, in this case. And so, you know, she likely will still be, this is my impression, just reading it. It, it is, like I said, a confusing story. We don't have all the facts but it seems to me that it's in self-defense. So, yep, there you go. Uh, Here's our next justified save story. 
employee at North Hollywood auto parts store fatally shoots suspected burglar. Now, Matthew, I'm, I'm going to prep you because I'm going to go ahead and cover the, the quick details or summary of this story and hand it over to you immediately for analysis. It says here, an employee at an auto parts store in North Hollywood shot and killed a man he believed was robbing the business on Saturday, March 3rd, police said. The shooting victim, who has not been identified, was pronounced dead at the scene. Sergeant Glenn McNeil of the Los Angeles Police Department's North Hollywood Division only described the victim as a man in his late 20s. The suspect was detained and questioned by LAPD homicide detectives, but was not arrested. McNeil said police got the call about a shooting around 5.45 p.m. at the store. He described the business as a vehicle instrument company that repairs cars. The owner of the store noticed someone from the building's back lot where vehicles were parked on a security camera. Suspecting the person was trying to steal something, the owner sent one of the store employees to the back. I said I wasn't going to give any analysis, but that's that's a key thing to, to look at, okay? The employee, armed with a handgun, encountered the man in the back parking lot. The employee later, later told police that the man became aggressive. The man approached him, trying to force him back into the business. That's when the employee fired his handgun, striking the man and killing him. Police did not say how many shots were fired, but multiple news reports indicated he fired several shots. McNeil, this is that police uh, sergeant, representing the LAPD, did not say whether there were any words exchanged between the men. He did say that the security camera footage of the shooting backed up the employee's version of the events. He also said there were no weapons found on the dead man. There was good video of the incident, but it was determined that the employee was protecting his life. Your analysis, Matthew. Yeah, real quick, a couple things that I noticed right off the bat um, on this. When you pointed out that he sent him back there to kind of uh, confront this dude, right? Um, so we just listened to a case from Andrew Branca about, you know, becoming the aggressor. And, and so here, here's, here's the thing. We obviously can't use deadly force in the protection of property. Um, but do we have the right to go out there and confront somebody who we think is, you know, uh, maybe doing something criminal, stealing something, uh, you know, out of these cars or trying to break in. Um, I think he does have the right to go back there and say, Hey, what are you doing? Um, get out of here. If he was brandishing the gun at that point, I think this case would have been differently, would, would have gone different. Um, but I don't think that this guy went out there with the gun brandish, although he had it on him. Um, because I doubt that this person would have attacked him had he gone out there you know, uh, pointing his gun at the guy off the bat. Um, so that's number one. Um, number two is that, um, there were multiple shots fired in this, and the, the guy who died doesn't have a, doesn't have any weapons found on him. So people are like, Oh, can I shoot somebody who's unarmed, um, unarmed, you know, every time a police officer shoots somebody, it's unarmed person is shot. And it, it, it's, it almost becomes kind of like, well, that's not a justified, you know, you're not justified in shooting somebody unarmed. However, um, it's, it's the state of mind when he shoots. And so, um, basically obviously, or obviously these LA, um, police officers investigate and they find based on his statement that he was in fear of death or serious bodily injury, they match it up with this video. It says, yeah, this guy was basically assaulting him or whatnot. And it's, reasonable. Um, and it, it is determined that the employee was protecting his life. So I think, um, it, it was a good story about, you know, um, 
be careful about when you go out to investigate something, even if it's like outside your home, um, just be careful that you don't go out there, um, you know, guns a blazing or, or anything like that. If it's just property, because as that one case that Andrew Branca uh, uh, spoke about in the, in, in earlier, you, you run the risk of, of uh, being labeled the, uh, the aggressor and then you can't make a self-defense claim at that point, or it would be very problematic. So, um, yeah, so th- this was perfect. Good thing for the video too, because then it would have been, you know, his word against, um, you know, yeah. uh, that's it just as his statement. So. Yep. Good stuff, man. Uh, ditto. So let's move on now to our final justified save story of this week. And we'll go through this fairly quickly because I do want to save enough time, make sure we have enough time to talk about our final story, which is actually kind of a bonus story. It's an article that was featured in townhall.com about how many lives are saved by guns and why don't gun controllers care. So so hang on just a little bit longer, guys, because I think that's something you're going to want to hear about. And we do want to leave a little bit of time to discuss that. But this final story is out of um, Blountville. I forgot which uh, state this was in. Maybe you can help me, Matthew. Tennessee. There it is. Blountville, Tennessee. Blountville, Tennessee. You know, sometimes you read these stories and you, you, you hear, you, you find these, in the, they're little towns, you know, that you've never heard of before and you don't always remember exactly what state they're in. Uh, grand jury says Piney Flats woman shot husband in self-defense. So this story actually happened last year, um, but this woman was, uh, a grand jury looked at the case and determined that she will not face charges, okay? Um, so that, that, just so we make it clear. So back in November, Angela Bennett, uh, she is the secretary for Sullivan County Mayor Richard Venable, it says here. She's currently running for election to the position of county trustee. Now, on Sunday, November 19th, the Sullivan County Sheriff's Office responded to her home in Piney Flats, uh, Tennessee. Uh, Angela's husband, Michael Bennett, was found with a gunshot wound. He was transported to Johnson City Medical Center for treatment. Since Angela Bennett's son is a... uh, Sullivan County Sheriff's Office deputy, the Tennessee Bureau of, Invest- of Investigation was contacted to handle the case. According to the TBI, it was learned that Michael Bennett had threatened his wife with a gun and assaulted her, then broke her phone to prevent her from call- di- call- ugh, having a hard time talking today, dialing 911. During the assault, Angela Bennett reportedly grabbed a handgun and shot Michael Bennett, then ran to a neighbor's home for help. Findings of the TBI investigation were presented to a Sullivan County grand jury on Wednesday. It determined that Angela Bennett's actions were justified and she will not face any criminal charges. However, for the alleged violence against her that spurred the shooting, Michael Bennett has been indicted on charges of aggravated domestic assault and hindering a 911 call. He turned himself in at the Sullivan County Jail on Thursday and was booked into the facility on a $15,000 bond. So he was shot, but he survived. Yeah, exactly, right? Uh, And she was determined to have acted in self-defense. I don't remember all the nuances of all the different states and, and how self-defense cases are handled. The way I see this case, from the facts that we have, boy, I'm surprised this even got before a grand jury. At least in Colorado, a DA would have had the authority to look at it and go, no, we're not going to pursue charges on this one. Uh, because to me, this seems pretty cut and dry. You know, husband assaulted her, his wife. He pointed a gun at her first. Mm-hmm. And then she ended up shooting him. Good for her. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if maybe the son being a, 
being a, a sheriff's deputy had anything to do with them just saying, hey, let's just so we investigate this so there's no appearance of impropriety or whatnot. But it, it is strange that it would even go to a grand jury. Yeah, totally. So, like I said, we, we told you we'd feature a couple stories that involve domestic violence. And frankly, I'm glad that these women were empowered and able to defend themselves in the way that they did. This stuff needs to happen more often, in my opinion. I'm not saying I want more people to get killed. Okay, don't read me wrong. I'm just saying I hate to see women or others, because it's not always just women that are on the, the end of, the, of receiving the battering. But uh, I when I see laws being proposed that might make it more difficult, for instance, we talked earlier about Florida, the law there, adding a three-day wait period before you can walk out of the store with a gun. What purpose does that serve? Right Now, they will argue that that would keep some crimes of passion from happening. But on the flip side, we got to look at it like this. You might prevent some women that are in the, they, they just barely get out of this scary situation. Now, by the way, in my position as a leader in my local church, I have worked with, and I'm going to be very sensitive about this, I have, I have counseled with women that were in scary domestic situations and tried to help them get out of those situations. Okay? I'm not going to give any details on this, right? Because these are very, very sensitive things. But I've seen this kind of stuff firsthand, right? And you, sometimes women don't know or people don't know because, like I said, might, it's not just women, right? People don't know how to get themselves out of that situation and they're afraid to get out of that situation. They're afraid what that person, their, their spouse or significant other might do, right? And you add a three-day mandatory waiting period on a gun purchase, you might and I'm, by the way, in my position as a leader in my church, I'm not telling someone, hey, first thing you need to do is go buy a gun. Like you might think that that's what I would do, but that's, that's not what I, what I say. Uh, that's not a, a part of it at all. Um, but because I don't think that's my position to, to suggest that as, as, as a church leader. But, but if someone decides that's what they need to do to potentially protect themselves, then they should have the right to be able to do so without having a hindrance in the way because those types of situations can happen and develop very quickly. That's enough said about that. Well said. Well said. Townhall.com. How many lives are saved by guns and why don't gun controllers care? So Matthew, you you pointed me in the direction of this article and I love this article Hmm. um, because it jumps right into it and it says, how many lives are saved each year through the use of firearms? Now, that's a difficult statistic to come by. And later on in this article, it gives us some, somewhat of an idea, potentially. Uh, and this is from criminal, criminologist and researcher Gary Kleck using his own commission phone surveys and number extrapolation. Estimates that Americans use guns for defensive purposes 1.2 million times each year. And that one in six Americans who have used guns defensively believe someone would have died, but for their ability to resort to their defensive use of firearms. 20 years ago, economist John Law, author of More Guns, Less Crime, and his research partner wrote, quote, 
We find that allowing citizens to carry concealed weapons deters violent crimes, and it appears to produce no increase in accidental deaths if those states which did not have right to carry concealed gun provisions had adopted them in 1992, approximately 1,570 murders, 4,177 rapes, and over 60,000 aggravated assaults would have been avoided yearly. Yearly. That's that's insane. Okay. Now, I'm going to be honest and straight up front with you in that there's, there's, there's no like real sure basis. I think in, in, in those numbers, like you can't really like don't read into that too much. All right. Um, and keep in mind that that was way back to in the nineties when this was, when this is quoting his from, I believe from his book that was written way back when. Okay. But it still paints a picture that, good guys and gals with guns stop really bad things from happening to good guys and gals from bad guys. And so we have to talk about this in the debate. It, it has to be part of, it, it has to be part of the debate and, and I had, you know, it has to be part of the conversation when people sit down and whenever you hear somebody say, let's have an honest discussion or a conversation needs to be about this. This has to be part of it because it is so crucial to understanding why people hang on to their, their firearms and why people um, don't want more uh, gun laws and more restrictive gun laws that would prohibit them from owning firearms. It is the core reason. Um, The the reason why the NRA fights and and the reason why people fight for their rights is not because the NRA wants to kill people. It's not because uh, 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 for political agendas, it's because of this right here in, in, in life, there's always a balancing act and we can either live. I use the analogy like a zoo. Okay. We can live like animals in a zoo where we give away all our freedoms for protection. There's no, you know, for an animal in the zoo, there's no predators. There's doctors on staff that can take care of them. If they get sick, they feed them regularly. They're fine, but they have no freedom. Right. Um, they're safe. You take them that same animal and you put it out in the wild. Now it has to fight for food. It could be sick. It, 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 it you know, um, so, but it's free. Yep. And so there's this, there's this balance of where do you want our society to be? Where do you want, where, what do you think are the core principles of the United States? And since it was founded on freedom, more often than not, will lean on the side of freedom, even if it's more dangerous. And, and so these are the reasons why we hang on to these, to these uh, firearms. And, 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 you know, you, you look at these statistics and like you said, you know, you can't, you can't quantify everything uh, all the time, it, it, but there is no doubt that guns overwhelmingly are used to save lives rather than take lives. And if you look, um, it, 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 whenever you hear the stats about how many guns are used to, or how many lives are, are lost due to, to, to firearms, understand that in that about, uh, about a third of those are suicides. And I'm not, I'm not downplaying suicides. I'm not saying they're not important because every life is important. Um, but 
when you when you put those statistics in, it skews that the the the, the person's belief that these guns are used to kill other people in homicides and things like that. It skews their belief. And at the same time, you can't argue for doctor assisted suicides and believe that suicide is okay. Even if it's, you know, assisted by a doctor and then argue that we shouldn't have guns because people kill themselves with guns. You have to be, you have to be morally consistent there. And so, you know, I, I'm just saying that this article was, I read it and I was like, this is bingo. This is, this is the argument. This is why, if anybody wants to know, why do you need an AR-15? Why do you want to carry a firearm? This, this is the yep. answer. Just read it. The unfortunate thing is that it doesn't fit or match the media's uh, uh, narrative that most of the mainstream media wants to portray. And so, of course, we won't see this sort of thing talked about. Uh, but that's why here at the Concealed Carry Podcast, like I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, that we are rebranding. We, we For two years now, we've referred to these justified stories. It's been our justified segment of the podcast sharing these instances that we have to literally whittle down from dozens of examples every week to to share on the podcast where good guys with guns stop bad guys. And those bad guys, by the way, don't necessarily always have guns. Um, but that, that's the idea, right? We have to whittle those stories down. We share those. And for two years now, we called it our justified segment. It is now our justified saves. Or we'll simply sometimes refer to them as saves. You know, I, I, I saw this, by the way, as looking at um, uh, North American Rescue, the guys that make the tourniquets. Uh, your your cat tourniquets, things like that, and a lot of other medical-related products. And they refer to saves, right, that where people, their lives are saved because of application of a tourniquet. And also, uh, what is it? I think it's Safari Land that refers to saves of police officers that are saved because of the body armor that they're wearing, right? Save number such and such. Well, these are our saves where good guys stop bad guys, they save lives because they have this thing called the Second Amendment and the right to self-defense. That wraps up today's episode of the podcast, by the way. <clears throat> Matthew, I know, has got to get going someplace. And so uh, just one last uh, final shout-out. Shout uh, today's episode sponsors Guardian Nation, guardiannation.com. Go check out uh, the membership that's available there for like-minded, like-minded individuals those of you like us that believe in this kind of stuff and want to be better, better, better prepared, better educated, more empowered, have the right equipment and gear and knowledge to be guardians, be a part of the nation. Go check out guardiannation.com. And also today we're also thankful to the Brave Response Appendix Holster and the Brave Response brand for, for their support of everything we do here at concealedcarry.com and the Concealed Carry Podcast, go check out the new appendix holster from Brave Response, concealedcarry.com forward slash BR, as in Brave Response, BR Appendix, where that's where you can find that and, and order one of those today. So with that, Matthew, it's time to, to say goodbye to the folks and to say goodbye to you. Appreciate uh, you being part of the show today. Thank you, and thank sir. You. Yes, and thank you to all of you for being a part of, of what we do here, the comments that have been shared via Facebook and elsewhere. Thank you so much. 
And so with that, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. reminder that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws the concealed carry podcast concealed carry inc concealedcarry.com and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm related incidents and laws but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this we cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast